BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the OG Rob Silver. And before I start the podcast, I just want to say that I am disgusted by the hideous and horrendous officiating that happened in two separate fights Saturday night. And I will discuss thoroughly both of these referees who both I have talked about positively. I believe both men are International Boxing Hall of Fame worthy referees. But Saturday night, they did two of the worst officiating jobs I've seen in a very long time. But before I get to that, let me give you a quick rundown of what are we talking about. We'll be talking about the action for Saturday night, including the two fights that I uh, referred to. Raleigh Romero's victory over... Man, this is bullshit. Over... Uh, man, I'm... I'm I'm disgusted, ladies and gentlemen. I am very disgusted at what I saw Saturday night. It's just anyway. Let me let me gather myself. Raleigh M- Romero's controversial TKO victory over Ishmael Barroso. We will look at Jason Maloney's very well-deserved victory over Vincent Astrolabio, and the main event of that card. 
in another pathetic show of refereeing, Jonabek Alam Kunuli's second round destruction of Stephen Butler. That'll be the fight recap portion, the first part of the podcast. Second part will be another Q&A session. This will be a very long Q&A. I got a lot of questions. And then the final part will be my new project here, my new historical overview. The 25 greatest knockouts in boxing history. I will start with my number 25 at the end of the podcast. And, oh, sometime during this podcast, I will make my prediction of the huge undisputed lightweight championship fight being held Saturday night between the undisputed lightweight champion of the world, Devin Haney, and his opponent, the first ballot Hall of Famer when he finally retires, and former lightweight champion, Vasily Lomachenko. But before I begin the podcast, once again, I want to push the Patreon podcast that I do on the Fight Game Media Network. The link is in the description of this podcast for $5 a month. You will hear my monthly series of the life and times of Muhammad Ali, in which I look at 10 of his greatest, most historical performances, the most important performances and fights of his career. I will take a look at the political landscape of each of these fights, what was going on in the world, as told to me by my dear departed father, as he was always schooling me on boxing. Whenever we watched boxing on television, it would be history 101, boxing history 101 with him talking about what happened in the past and who this fighter was comparable to. Well, he used to always talk to me about the exploits of Muhammad Ali, and so that you will get and you will also get me doing the play-by-play of each fight. I give you the link to the YouTube channel, Vintage Boxing, run by my buddy from the UK, Martin. I will give you the timestamp, where to go on the, on the fight from, Vintage Boxing. And then I will ask you to mute your devices or your television as I recreate my own play-by-play of the fight as we do a watch-along. $5 a month. The link is in the the description of the podcast. You can ask anybody on Twitter who has subscribed to the Patreon that my historical overview of Muhammad Ali is on par, if not better, than anything else you hear when it comes to the history of professional boxing and more so the history of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali the greatest. Now on to Saturday night's histrionics and the hideous referee. And first, let me get out who I consider my fighter of the the pound for pound fighter of the week, and that's Jason Maloney. Jason Maloney won a hard fought twelve round decision over Vincent Astrolabio. To win one of the vacant uh, Bantamweight titles that the great, the best fighter in the world, Nayoa Monster Noe gave up when he moved up to 122 to face Stephen Fulton. That fight's going to happen in July. Maloney fought a very good fight, a brilliant fight. Uh, Astrolobia owes a tough cookie. I mean, he damn near but ended Rigondeaux's career. But Maloney won the deserve. I don't know why it was a majority decision. It should have been a unanimous decision. I thought he won clear cut. And finally, after years of hard work, Jason Maloney 
has one of them alphabet soup criminal cartel championships. So kudos to uh, Jason Maloney, my pound for pound fighter of the week. Now on to the main event of that card. This was aired on ESPN, the Maloney versus uh, Astrolabio fight. And Janabek Alam Kunali's destruction of Stephen Butler. First and foremost, Janabek does not impress me. He's got a herky-jerky soft paw style. Yes, he's got power in both hands, especially that left hand. But, man, a real skilled boxer would eat him up. But right now, he doesn't have to worry about that because the middleweight division, the 160-pound division, is the worst division in boxing right now. It's trash. It's manure juice. It's straight bullshit. So he should... He might be able to have a Triple G-like uh, reign where he beats like Triple G. Bum after bum after bum after bum. But I digress. Let's get to the horrendous refereeing by Jack Reese, who I believe is Hall of Fame worthy. But Saturday night, what the fuck was he doing? Oh, and before I begin his bad refereeing, let's talk about the hideous announcing by Joe Tessitore again. Janet Beck landed a beautiful left uppercut that staggered Butler in the second round and then dropped him with a couple of left crosses. Once again, Tessitore, like, and I will Bring this up with Mauro Ronaldo later on. Erroneously, erroneously called the left cross the left hook. Ladies and gentlemen, I say this week after week. I've been saying this my entire life. My father taught me the difference between what a hook and a cross is, right? When you're a softball and you throw a straight left hand, it's a left cross, not a left hook. Will you announcers get this shit right? The worst announcers in the history of boxing, uh, Todd Grisham, Mauro Ronaldo, and Joe Tessitore do not know the difference between a hook and a cross. It's criminal. It's criminal. It's goddamn hideous. It's criminal. And these dudes are getting paid good money to misinform and miseducate the casual boxing fans out there. Anyway, after the second knockdown... Reese should have not stopped the fight. Butler was defenseless. He got up wobbly, and Reese gave him another opportunity after being dropped again by a series of left hands for second time. Third time, he got dropped again. Reese saw Butler staggering around the rings. Butler could not stand up barely, and Reese allowed the fight to continue, and Butler took another horrendous left uppercut that was unnecessary and a left cross that dropped him, and he was out. Jack Reese should be ashamed of himself. That fight should have been stopped, in my opinion, after the second knockdown, no less than the third knockdown. How do you allow this guy to get knocked down a fourth time when he had no shot and he was out on his feet and probably already concussed? Horrible display of refereeing by Jack Reese. But Jack Reese is lucky that he got to uh, do such a bad call on the same night when you had an even more erroneous and pathetic call. We get to the main event of the Showtime card in Las Vegas. Raleigh Raleigh Romero, Raleigh the Rapist Romero, fighting for an undeserved shot at one of the bogus vacant titles at 140 pounds. One of the titles Josh Taylor abdicated, former undisputed 
junior welterweight champion of the world, who will be defending one of those titles that he kept against Teofimo Lopez in about a month at Master Square Garden. Ishmael Barosa versus Raleigh Romero. You got guys on social media, huge fans of Romero. Think think this guy's box office. Thinks this guy is a star. Raleigh Romero is a piece of shit, and he's a fucking bum. He ran for most of the first eight rounds. Got dropped in the third round by a beautiful counter. Left cross, not a left hook, Moronalo. Left cross. And he was way behind on my scorecard. I gave... Barossa seven of the first eight rounds he was given the business to, and Romero was just standing there and getting hit over and over again by that counter left cross an elite fighter like a Regis Progress or Gary Antoine Russell or Josh Taylor Devin Haney Shakur Stevenson Javon, well Javante Davis already knocked him out even Ryan Garcia who I do not consider an elite fighter will knock out Raleigh Romero he doesn't throw punches he gives you unnecessary movement. He ran around the ring. Why? I don't know. And so after eight rounds, he was behind on all three scorecards, on my scorecard, and the great Steve Farhood of Showtime, who continues to be the best judge, not only on television, but of any of these clowns that are official judges. 99 times out of 100, Steve Farhart and I are on the same page when we score a fight. Romero's training team probably told him he needed a knockout. And so in the ninth round, Romero comes out desperate and he staggers Barroso with a beautiful left hook. But then this is when referee Tony Weeks makes the first of, of two hideous calls. After he staggers Barroso, he shoves him to the ground. Weeks calls it a knockdown. Now, was Barroso hurt? Yes. But he was still up and hurt when Romero shoved him to the canvas. Weeks erroneously called that a knockdown. Barroso was badly hurt. And Romero went all out looking for the knockout. But Barroso looked to have recovered with about 30 seconds left and was engaging in a nice toe-to-toe exchange with Romero when out of nowhere, Tony Weeks stops the fight. And he stopped the fight after Romero had push-punched on top of his uh, of Barroso's head and missed a couple of wild shots. And Barroso had landed a nice right hook. And it's a right hook because he's a softball, motherfuckers, right? But for some reason, I don't know what was on Tony Weeks' mind. He stopped the fight. Romero wins a bogus title, a title he does not deserve. And the WBA afterwards, as they should, did not order immediate rematch. Instead, said that he would have to fight Alberto Puello, the former champion who was stripped because he failed his PED test. All of these organizations, the WBA, WBC, IBF, and WBO are crooked criminal cartels that rob fighters with these bogus sanctioning fees and are owned by promoters. I love Al Heyman. I love PBC. I love what they've done for boxing. But I'm going to call a spade a spade. They own the WBA lock, stock, and barrel. And whatever Al Heyman and Sam Watson says, and I got a lot of fans out there that swear to God it, that the, that PBC is the go-to. And they're blatantly biased towards PBC. I'm not biased. I call it like I fucking see it. This fight 
was a horrendous stoppage, and the WBA is not going to go against the guys that pay their paychecks, PBC, Al Heyman, and order immediate rematch. Instead, Alberto Prayo, a criminal, when it comes to taking steroids and performance-enhancing drugs, is going to get the next shot at Raleigh Romero. And Raleigh Romero talks a lot of shit. After the fight was acting like he had the fight in control, it was just a matter of time. Raleigh Romero is an overhyped bum. He fought a guy almost twice his age, much slower than him, and the dude was kicking his ass. And he had no defense for that left cross counter. Why you guys are fans of Raleigh Romero? I do not understand. The man is not a talented fighter. One of the worst world champions and one of the most overrated fighters I've ever seen in my lifetime. He's not that fucking good. Get the fuck out of here. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, on to my prediction for Saturday night's fight between Devin Haney and Vasily Lomachenko. Vasily Lomachenko was the first battle Hall of Famer. And he has fought the best at 135, 130, and 126. But this fight is all wrong for him. First and foremost, Devin Haney is 24. Vasily Lomachenko is 24, is 35. They list Lomachenko at five foot seven. He looks closer to five foot six to me, with a 60 foot, sixty-five inch um, reach. Devin Haney is listed at five foot eight. He looks more like five foot nine to me, but he has a seventy-one inch reach. He's got Lomachenko by six inches with the reach, as we saw when Lomachenko lost to Teofimo Lopez. He has trouble with long-arm fighters that throw a lot of jabs. Lopez, to his credit, fought the fight of his life by constantly putting that jab in Lomachenko's face to win a decisive 12-round decision. Haney's a much better boxer than, than Lopez. He's got a much better jab than Lopez. He throws better combinations than Lopez. The only thing Lopez has over Haney is power. Haney doesn't knock people out anymore, but he will control the action in the middle of the ring with that jab. Lomachenko, because of his age and because of the reach disadvantage he's facing, is going to have a hard time trying to get inside. He cannot outbox Haney. He's got to find a way to outslug Haney, but that jab's going to be in his face all night, and I see Devin Haney winning a comfortable 12-round unanimous decision. So, uh, that's my prediction for Saturday night. Now, on to my Q&A session 
of the podcast. The first question is from a great artist. Check him out on Twitter, Museum of June, a tremendous artist. He drew a, a, a portrait of my ex-girlfriend. I'm going to say, was it pre-pandemic? Man, the, the days, the years, the days just, uh, I believe it was about four years ago, he drew me a beautiful portrait of my ex-girlfriend, the woman I was seeing at the time. So check him out on Twitter, Museum of June. And, um, and, his prices are are very reasonable and he's a tremendous artist tremendous top tier june's question who had the greatest prime for these divisions welterweight middleweight heavyweight and overall if you have one well i'm gonna start with heavyweight because this is a great segue to what i mentioned earlier the aforementioned Patreon podcast I did of that I'm doing the Patreon series on the life and times of Muhammad Ali from 1964 to 1967 Muhammad Ali had the greatest prime in the history of professional boxing that's what my father said and as far as my lifetime goes you can make an argument Mike Tyson 1986 to 1988 of what I've seen Right now, that that might be my greatest prime of any heavyweight champion. Lennox Lewis had a great prime, but he had a couple of hiccups in the 1990s. Uh, I don't count the Klitschko brothers because it was just horrendous to watch. Tyson Fury, had he not had a couple of sabbaticals, you could put that into the conversation as well. But. I have to go with Muhammad Ali from 1964 to 1967. And in my lifetime, Mike Tyson from 1986 to 1989. Okay, before he got knocked out in 1990 by Buster Douglas. Middleweight, greatest prime of a middleweight champion. I would go with what my father said. I only saw one of this man's fights. But Carlos Monzon from 1970 to 1977. My father. My father said it was the greatest middleweight he ever saw. I only saw Monzon's last fight against Rodrigo Valdez in 1977. That was the final fight. He wins that fight, and he retires as the undisputed middleweight champion of the world. In my lifetime, it's marvelous Marvin Hagler from 1980 to 1987 before he uh, lost a disputed decision to Sugar Ray Leonard. Marvelous Marvin Hagler beat and um, June, you're from Flint, Michigan, and you know how highly revered the Michigan legend Thomas Hearns is. He knocked out Thomas Hearns in one of the greatest fights in boxing history in the third round. He beat Roberto Duran. Uh, he he butchered Alan Minter, who was the undisputed middleweight champion of the world when Hagler won the title. Marvelous Marvin Hagler had the greatest prime of any middleweight I've ever seen. Welterweight. My father would tell you it was Shanga Ray Robinson, another Michigan legend, June. Look at that. We've got Michigan legends at middleweight and welterweight. Sugar Ray Robinson from the early 40s until he gave up his title in 1950, 1951, had the greatest prime, according to my father, in the history of the welterweight division. From what I've seen, the welterweight division has been a storied division. We've had so many great welterweight champions, whether it was Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, Donald Curry, Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Hearns, Ike Quartet, 
Oscar De La Hoya, but I'm going to go with Felix Tito Trinidad because between 1993 and 2000, when he was the IBF welterweight champion of the world, other than his fight with Oscar De La Hoya, which I thought De La Hoya won and Trinidad won a disputed decision, Trinidad destroyed everybody in his path. I don't, I don't, Put Sugar Ray Leonard over him. Sugar Ray Leonard reigned from 1979 to 1982 twice, and he did beat he did, he did beat Thomas Hearns and Roberto Duran during that period. But he lost to Duran, and he struggled against Hearns before stopping Hearns. Uh, Donald Curry had a great welterweight reign until he was forced to quit against Lloyd Hunnigan. Felix Trinidad didn't lose that welterweight, even though you can make a claim that De La Hoya should have gotten that victory, and I will support anybody who believes that but to be honest Felix Tito Trinidad in my opinion had the greatest uh, prime of any welterweight I saw and then my father would of course say the greatest welterweight of all time Sugar Ray Robinson question from Andy Bowen this is a great question what hurt boxing more USA canceling Tuesday night fights or HBO dropping boxing from his schedule? That's a great question. But let me tell you this. USA canceled Tuesday Night Fights in 1997. A year later, ESPN all but replaced it with their Friday Night Fight series that lasted for almost 20 years. And then later on, in the mid-2000s, mid to late 2000s, they had a Wednesday Night Fights on ESPN. So... Even though Tuesday Night Fights was a beacon of, of, of boxing on television for prospects up and coming, we did have a suitable replacement in ESPN's Friday Night Fights. And what I loved about ESPN's Friday Night Fights is they weren't beholden to one promoter like Tuesday Night Fights. Tuesday Night Fights and ESPN Friday Night Fights, it was basically the same uh, format except for one thing, uh, Andy, they had very competitive. They had better competitive main events than Tuesday night fights. Many a time on Tuesday night fights, it would be a Roy Jones coming up, or a George Foreman on his comeback trail, or Larry Holmes on his comeback trail, fighting a guy that had no shot at winning. While on ESPN Friday night fights, the vast majority of those fights were competitive fights, and you had some fight of the years on Friday night fights, including Emmanuel Augustus versus. Uh, Mickey Ward. So uh, that's the answer uh, to your question, Andy. HBO has never been replaced. Since HBO dropped boxing six years ago, I believe, 2017, there hasn't been a suitable replacement. Instead, you have these streaming services that rip off the public, give you horrendous fights. The Zone now is giving you all these clown acts. The Zone was supposed to be HBO's replacement. They pay, you're paying 24, $20 to $25 a month for that trash? Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. HBO by a long shot because no one has replaced HBO. First of all, HBO had the greatest boxing team, announcing team. Jim Lampley is the second greatest boxing announcer in the history of boxing, in my opinion, after Howard Cosell. Roy Jones is the greatest color commentator I've ever seen. Jim Lampley knows the difference between a cross and a hook. If you listen, you hear it, unlike these buffoons that that are announcing today. And Max Kellerman, while a lot of people, and he and I 
criticize him from time to time, was a solid third man in the booth. Larry Merchant was asleep half the time, but when Max Kellerman took over for Larry Merchant, that was the best boxing team I've ever seen. Jim Lampley, Roy Jones Jr., and Larry Merchant. Oh, great question, Andy. Anytime you've given me a question, it's been top tier. Ivan Ojosa. Ivan Ojosa. Man, I've been talking to this guy for a long time, since I first started on Twitter. He goes back to when I did a prior podcast for over a decade. He asked a question, and I'm going to tell you right quick. How would Canelo have fared against Trinidad and Del Hoya at both 154 and 160? I don't do fantasy questions anymore. I don't do yesterday versus today. Put them in. I don't do that. To me, you know, you know, it's a matter of opinion. So I'm not going to answer that question. But uh, if you, whatever you decide to do, I'll go with it. Because I, I don't do those those questions anymore. But I like this question. Better year, matches, promos, angles. Ric Flair's 1989 or Bret Hart's 1997? Let's break it down per category. You go matches. Ric Flair had three legendary pay-per-view and Clash of the Champion matches versus Ricky Steamboat. I attended one of those matches, the, the New Orleans Superdome, April 2nd, 1997. Still the greatest match I have attended live in person. Then he had two incredible matches with Terry Funk at the Great American Bash and at the Clash of Champions in November, the I Quit match. Five great Great matches. Great matches. Then we look at Bret Hart. Bret Hart had the iconic I Quit match with Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania in 1997. One of the greatest matches. In my opinion, still the greatest match in the history of the World Wrestling Federation. Or the World Wrestling Entertainment. Or the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Whatever you want to call it. And he had an incredible match with The Undertaker at that one-night-only UK pay-per-view. Phenomenal match. The Screwjob match versus Shawn Michaels was on his way to being an all-time classic before the plug was pulled and Earl Hebner, McMahon, Shawn, all that nonsense, the Screwjob finish. So I got to give the... Oh, and of course... Brett was involved in that incredible 10-man tag team at the Calgary Stampede in July. So those are three and a half classics compared to Flair's five. So I got to go with Flair. Promos! I got to give, this will shock most of you, as great as Flair was in 89 as a wrestler, when it came to promos, because he was the babyface for half the year, he was more laid back with the Ric Flair promo. While Bret Hart, the minute he turned and you started the USA versus Canada uh, a feud, was phenomenal in his uh, in his promos week in and week out. And he was the one that started that 20-minute promo every week on Raw that still continues 26 years later. <laughs> Ah, so I got to give the edge to Flair. And as far as angles go, with Flair, Flair had Flair was involved in the best angle when he got pile driven onto the table by Terry Funk to start that feud after beating Steamboat on my 21st birthday, May 7th, 1989. Now, the Brett turn was great. And you had a lot of great angles week in and week out. But 
Just that one alone, I give the H to Flair. So I give 1989 Flair a slight edge over 97 Brett. But 1989 WCW was my favorite WCW year. 1997 WWF was my favorite WWF year. So great question, Ivan. Great question. All right, let's see what else we got on the question. On the question, man, some great fucking questions this week. The questions are better than the, the fucking refereeing from this past week. Here right, we go. My buddy Big Malcolm on Twitter asked, and my birthday was a week ago. May 7th. He said the greatest fight that ever happened on his birthday was Hagler Hearns. What's the greatest fight that I, that happened on my birthday? The greatest fight that ever happened on my birthday was May 7th, 2005. The greatest fight of the 21st century. Diego Corrales' incredible 10th round knockout of Jose Luis Castillo. Ironically, two years later, on my birthday again, May 7th, 2007, Diego Corrales died in a tragic Motorcycle accident. Things come full circle in life. I say this all the time. All the time. Things came full circle there. Okay. Let me see what else. Uh, I think LL School K has his weekly question. Let me see. Where's LL at? Where's his question at? Well, I don't see LL's question, so if I find it for next week, I'll answer it on next week. I don't see his question. No, I don't see his question. I don't know what happened to it. But I got a question from a long-time listener, Bod Ballas, and his question was concerning Tony Ayala Jr. and how he would have fared against Hearns, Leonard, and... um. Duran had he not gone to prison for rape at the age of 19, 20 years old. Tony Ayala was a fierce, fierce, aggressive fighter. But the time frame on his career would have been short. And he's not beating Duran. That Duran of that year, the Duran that beat Davey Moore, because that would have been probably, if Ayala doesn't go to prison, Ayala probably fights Duran after that. Duran would outbox Ayala, would counter Ayala and knock out Ayala. Ayala had no defense. He was a wild, aggressive fighter. He fought the way he lived his life, with no discipline. Tom, he would have walked into a Thomas right hand, uh, Thomas Hearns right hand, and he would have been put to sleep. And Sugar Ray Leonard would have landed combinations all night long on Tony Ayala. So that answers your questions, Bod. For all questions, and it could be music, relationships, any other sports, movies, television. It just doesn't have to be boxing. Ask Rob Silver on Twitter. Hashtag Ask Rob Silver. And now on. To my number 25 greatest knockout in boxing history. My 25th greatest knockout of all time occurred on May 10th, 1991 in Davenport, Iowa. Michael Nunn defending his IBF and lineal middleweight championship of the world against a lightly known fighter named James Tony. And this article I wrote, you can see it at length, fightgamemedia.com. So I'm going to read the article I wrote on my 25th greatest knockout in boxing history. Going into his fifth defense of his IBF world middleweight title versus a then virtual unknown James Tony, Michael Nunn was considered no worse than the second best fighter in the world. 
None had dominated the 160-pound division for the three years prior and had hired legendary trainer Angelo Dundee in an effort to heighten his markability to casual boxing fans. None was a huge 20-1 favorite over the Ann Arbor, Michigan native Tony in a fight that would take place in Nunn's hometown of Davenport, Iowa. At the time my father and I were watching this fight, neither one of us had ever heard of Tony. Yes, he had a shiny undefeated record, but we had never seen a fight and we speculated that he wasn't as good as his lofty record suggested. For the first seven rounds, he proved us right. Tony followed Nunn around the ring and missed a ton of shots while Nunn moved to control the fight with his swift right jab. After seven rounds, Tony already needed a knockout to win. Rounds 8 to 10 saw Tony finally begin to land what the announcers claimed was his signature punch, the right cross. Nunn was visibly showing signs of fatigue but had yet to stop moving. A minute into round 11, Tony was landing his right cross more and more. Then, all of a sudden, with a little more than over a minute left in the round, Tony walked into a spectacular left hook by Tony. Tony hit the canvas like he had been shot by an assault rifle. My father and I were shocked to see Nunn actually get up at the count of nine on very rubbery legs. Referee Dennis Nelson allowed the fight to continue, but Nunn was done. Tony chopped the listless Nunn down with three straight bombs. As soon as Nunn went down for the second time, Tony, I mean, Angelo Dundee threw in the towel. A new star in boxing had been born. Tony went on to be arguably one of the 10 best fighters of the last 30 years, winning world titles of super middleweight and cruiserweight and winning, a version of the, and winning a version of the heavyweight title before the title was given back to John Reeves because of testing positive for use of steroids. Tony was voted, finally voted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame on his second effort last year. Nunn's career never came close to the heights it was expected to after his dramatic loss to Tony. He would win a version of the 168-pound title for a brief run and was still fighting at age 39 when he was arrested for attempting to buy cocaine from, un from an undercover cop. It was, it, was revealed, it was revealed during the ensuing trial that, one, that Nunn was involved in drug dealing since 1993. He was convicted and served 15 years in prison before finally being released in August of 2019. Ladies and gentlemen, next week we will recap the Loma versus Haney super fight for the lightweight undisputed championship of the world. We will answer more questions and I will give you my number 24th greatest knockout of the last uh, of all time. Until next week when we talk more boxing, I want everybody out there listening to continue to be blessed and be a blessing. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.